right, I think we're live. Hello and welcome. It is Thursday, February 16th, excuse me, 2017 at one o'clock Eastern time and this is Marketing Live. I'm your host, Amy Jorgensen. On today's live broadcast, we're talking with our fantastic reporter who specializes in covering higher education. Marketing Live is a, higher, is a part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episode offers you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using higher ed live, um, hashtag higher ed live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take higher ed live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a, digitally, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Trusted by thousands of higher professionals, M. Stoner webinars are jam-packed with timely, strategic, and actionable knowledge. Check out their library of on-demand content from digital storytelling to myth-busting websites. We're tweeting a link now. I'd like to welcome our guest, Rick Seltzer, who covers business and management for Inside Higher Ed. Welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me. I had a hard time going through that script at the beginning. <laughs> it's definitely Thursday at the end of a long week. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm glad I don't have a script that I have to go through because <laughs> I might have the same trouble. Oh, it's, it's one of those good days. <laughs> yep. Tongue-tied days. That's the way mine started out, too. <laughs> well, I'm going to do my best as we go through the episode to check out Twitter um, and look at hashtag Hire Live. So if anyone has any questions for Rick, please feel free to send them forward, and I'll do my best to, to ask them as they come along. Um, so as we jump in, let's start off with how to get noticed by local and national media. Absolutely. Uh, as simple as it sounds, one of the most important things is a, a tight, easy email. Um, you don't typically have to go too long with that. Uh, the best option is, is to give about three or four sentences that really summarize things. I, I personally always like a lot of additional information as part of it or links to additional information. Other reporters have different preferences, but the most important thing is to really summarize in, in a good nut graph. It's, it's more or less like a good news story. You want all the good information high. Um, and from there, uh, you'll hear different reporters who like different things. If you have a really big story and it's really pressing, I personally don't mind a phone call, but that can get uh, difficult if you're getting a lot of phone calls every day. So I, I really think the most important takeaway is to, is to remember that the email is the most important thing. So start off with an email and, yeah. and make sure we, we have the important information first. And if it's something that's really pressing, dive in. Is there anything... Right in particular that could make a story more or less juicy? Like how, how do we know what kind of content to provide to you to make sure that it's something that's gonna be compelling to your readers? Because everyone thinks that their information is very important. And of course, sure. when you look at it, you're like, uh, I don't know if we really wanna be sharing information about a, a local career fair. Like that's not a really hot topic or you know, students moving in on campus. Right. Uh, know your publication is is probably the, the first piece of advice that I would offer there. Know what kind of stories the publication you're talking to likes to write. For us, we do a lot of trend pieces. Uh, so if there is a development that fits into something that's happening elsewhere, but also advances that story, uh, that's a really good example. You know, if if you're starting a business incubator, but it looks a lot like business incubators at your peers, that isn't necessarily the story that we covering nationally will do. If your business incubator, I don't know, has a, a really unorthodox hire or setup, maybe. 
um, you know, if, if, if it's closing and there's a reason it's closing your business incubator and, and you have a, a story behind that, then we're starting to get somewhere if it's the start of a new trend. So trend pieces are good. Um, unusual things are good. And, and that's where you get into that situation where it is very difficult. And I understand it's very difficult to know everyone thinks what happens on their campus is very special. And, and it is within that campus. But that's where you start to get into that point. Is this a better pitch for local press versus national press or even regional press? Uh, and I think that's one of those things that a good reporter, <laughs> if they get a pitch that isn't the, quite the right fit, will offer and say, maybe you want to take this to a different outlet. Um, and and I guess the big takeaway I would, would offer, though, is is don't be afraid to try to talk to me. Um, time is very tight. Uh, I might sound like I'm brushing you off. But uh, if, if you think there's a possibility and, and that it really fits the publication, um, just come with some good information and, and be ready to to offer more or or be uh, have to move on quickly. So what do you prefer? Do you prefer of like, here's something news that's happening or one of the big things that we hear at all these marketing conferences is, is really having, having storytelling and telling these big stories and, and you know, here's a story of a student and how they persevered or, or a professor that persevered. So what do you prefer or is there a mixture? For Inside Higher Ed, I, I think we tend to be a, a fairly analytical publication. Um, so I think good information, good data, good how it fits into the larger scheme of things really helps. I, I'm not against the personal story. I think they can really help us do our job uh, and they can really summarize other things. I, I don't know necessarily that that's the first piece of information that I would bring. Uh, that tends to push down that kind of three paragraph, three sentence paragraph of important information. Uh, so. That may vary depending on your publication, but but elsewhere where I've worked, I generally think it's most effective to see here is the, the story, here's the main point, and here's why it matters. Yeah, that makes sense. Wonderful. So tell me about an embargoed pitch. What is it? How can I use it? Sure. Embargoes, I, I find the most useful for situations where you're dealing with complicated stories large pieces of data, um, research maybe, that is going to be coming out hopefully in several days so you have time to go through it. And, and, and basically you're talking to the journalist and you're saying you will have a first chance to look at this information, do interviews on it. Um, no one else is going to be able to publish a story before you. Um, Embargoes that are just for one publication are the type that all journalists will like. I, I want it exclusively. <laughs> um, but but a lot of places will also do embargoes if they're doing a, a big release and, and they'll reach out to several reporters. And, and, and that can work too. Um, so the, the, the best option here is to give lots of lead time. Um, you actually may go around offering embargoes and, and not hear a response if you give a lot of lead time. That's not because we're not interested. It's probably because we have other priorities. Um, and, and eventually, if you just keep saying, look, we have this embargoed information, someone will get back to you. Um, again, don't be afraid to call and follow up. And then usually what I like to see is is someone providing whatever the information might be, whatever the, the embargoed story might be. I can look at whatever is there. I'll agree to the embargo. Um, and then hopefully we'll be able to schedule either one-on-one uh, -on -one calls about it, interviews about it, whatever else we may need. Some places like to do conference calls. Um, I personally prefer one-on-one -on -one interviews. Again, that's that's going to depend on the, the publication. 
I think one thing to make very clear with embargoes is you want to be upfront about the time that it lifts. Um, there's sometimes some confusion, or I've heard there's sometimes some confusion if you do a midnight embargo. <laughs> um, go 12.01 a.m. Uh, because that way you don't have the question of when does the date change. Now, there is a right answer for when the date changes, but but not everyone knows it. So 12.01 a.m. just simplifies things, or whatever your time might be. Um, we publish around 4 a.m., I believe. So, so any embargo that's about 5 or 7 in the morning, something like that, um, Typically, we're going to ask if we can move that back because we publish once a day. So just think about those kind of nuts and bolts things when you're setting one up too. So what's the best way? So when we set one of those up and let's say that you want to go in and, and talk to certain individuals that are identified either with the research or whatever the story is, is it best for us to give you that information and you reach out first? Or is it best for us to, how can we make sure that you're able to do your you know, your job effectively and that we're not getting in the way, but but helping you facilitate it in any way? You know, can sure. we set up appointments for you or well, in my experience, it really depends on the resources that a communications office has and, and kind of how the university is structured. It, it it really depends, is the honest answer. <laughs> um, and so if if you are in a situation where you typically will coordinate interviews with with professors, um, that can be very helpful. Uh, I'm, I'm not opposed, though, to reaching out to the professor individually if, if that's something that, that's more appropriate. Uh, so you really just kind of have to, to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. One thing I would say is um, if you're coming with an embargo, it's, it's best to at least have a, a one or two sources that you know is going to be available at some point um, before you go around offering it to the reporter. Wonderful, thank you. So let's talk about working with the editorial desk. How can we best work with them? When we talk editorials, are we talking op-eds, I, I, I'm guessing? Um, with what? Are we talking opinion pieces? Yes. Yeah, so most publications will have a separate editor that handles those. Um, it's fine to reach out to a journalist if there's someone you know on those. They'll probably just put you in touch with who that separate editor is. Um, so again, look at what type of person you're looking for. Um, know what types of pieces the publication is likely to run. And uh, don't, don't hesitate to, to ask them, what type of length are we looking for? What type of topics are hot right now? Um, that kind of feedback can really save a lot of work throughout the process, is my understanding. Um, but if, if you get in touch with the right person uh, who is going to be uh, leading the editorial desk, uh, they'll be able to walk you through all that usually. Wonderful. So when it comes to working with editorials, does it does it help for us to kind of provide some content and some background to help sway the writer in one way or another of, you know, hey, here's some information that might give you information, you know, might might help tell this kind of story, or is it I mean, it might be best to let you make the judgment as the reporter. Yeah, I, it, I don't necessarily make a call on on the editorial desk. Those are those are pretty pretty siloed off um, for for good reason. I don't really deal with the op ed side of things, except for when we're dealing with stories that that maybe. Um, Occasionally, you'll get a piece of research and say, well, it doesn't really work as a news story, but, but there's maybe something that we could write it as an editorial or, or, or we could suggest it there. So there's not a lot of crossover otherwise, though. Um, again, that's something that, that, that I would have to defer to whatever the editorial desk says. Wonderful. Thank you. So um, what is the best way to respond to reporters during breaking news or really sensitive situations? Sure. Um, 
I, I guess uh, patience <laughs> um, and availability are, are probably the most important things. Um, one piece of advice I, I give uh, is, is don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Um, hopefully you'll also say, but I can find out. Um, I understand that's not always possible, but in, in many situations, I think um, there's hesitation to say, I, I don't know the answer to that right now. And, and, and what we'll get is an answer that, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, I would rather just hear, I don't know, so I can move on to the next question and, and get the information that is available. And then hopefully we can get other information later. Um, but in, in a breaking situation, um, there are a lot of different pieces that are moving. Uh, so being, it's actually, it's actually similar to what we talked about earlier, where, where you being accessible and, and maybe not being unhappy if I have to do a follow-up call or if I need other sources um, is probably the most important thing. And, and sometimes it turns scattered when we're writing a story. And sometimes we might realize we need this detail that we didn't talk about earlier. So um, we, we may have to make the, the second, third, fourth call, whatever it may be, if, if it's important. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that I get a lot of random phone calls from um, typically local reporters wanting to do a story on one thing or another. So mm -hmm. what is, sometimes I'm nervous of like, you know, am I the best person as the marketing expert, to, you know, the marketing office, am I the best person to really provide them information and details about this? Or would they prefer to, for me to defer the, them to someone? Or is that going to annoy them because, you know, then they're being kind of tossed around. So what do you do in those situations? Sure. Uh, I, I, my general rule uh, when I'm reporting is, is I like to talk to first person sources. So, you know, if, if there's someone on campus who can better address the information, that's great. For certain pieces of background information, though, um, certainly the, the best way sometimes is to talk to the communications office directly. Um, if we're trying to get the latest enrollment figures, for instance, um, I don't always need to talk to the enrollment manager unless we're going to go deeper and talk to talk about strategy. Sometimes that kind of an ask for a basic piece of information uh, is simply to build out another story that, that isn't directly focused on, say, enrollment or whatever it may be. Um, so, so that kind of base information, um, typically, uh, I I'm fine with getting from uh, a communications office. Um, but once you start to get into other things like areas of strategy, areas of maybe controversy, um, areas of, of other developments, uh, my general rule is uh, try to get the first person source if possible. Uh, now I know that's not always possible and, and sometimes we're gonna end up with a statement from the institution, uh, but, but hopefully we can kind of minimize those times. Wonderful. We do have a question from Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie, for asking. Do you or how do you recommend pitching a person such as a faculty expert? Mm. Uh, patience, again, uh, I think the, the best pitches on faculty experts I've seen understand that what is topical in the news changes frequently. Um, and so they identify what's going on that this expert may be able to talk about that, that you've covered recently or that you might be covering recently. Um, that's not to say that you can't pitch an expert in something that, that might become hot later or, or might be important to a story, even if it's not all the buzz in this month. Um, but, but in those cases, um, it, it's more of a, well, you're, you're pitching it to someone and, and you might not get a follow-up right away or, or you might just get the answer, well, I have that, you know, I have that written down and if this comes up, I'll get back to you. Um, but if you're talking about just constructing the pitch, 
it's going to be very similar to if you're pitching a story. Um, here's what, here's who this person is. Here's what they're really good at. Um, and, and here's a little bit of background on them. Uh, keep it as short as possible, but um, hopefully clear about, about what they're comfortable discussing. Wonderful. That makes sense. So one of the biggest things we talk about in, in higher ed is the importance of website content and how often that our website content is incredibly outdated or it's, you know, um, really hard to find or what have you. So what I'm curious about is, is hypothetically, let's say you're wanting to create a story and you're wanting to write something and, um, where are the first places that you go for information? Do you go to website content first or do you go straight to a person and try to find them? Would it make sense for us to have a, a list of like, here's potential topics that we can talk about and here's who to call on each topic? You know, what would be best to make sure that we're, when there, there are, you know, times in which you're, you're needing to do research and needing to reach out to us, what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that we have the infrastructure set up the right way? Sure. When I was a local reporter, I, I will say that expert lists hosted online were extremely helpful. Um, you know, university had, uh, Actually, it was it was interactive. You could type in keywords and find an expert in, in that field. That was really helpful when I was a local reporter. Um, other things that are helpful now, that could still be helpful now, frankly. Um, but uh, other things that, that can be helpful are if you're on the national scale or, or, or looking at an institution from a place like Inside Higher Ed, uh, clearinghouses for information, kind of the, the about us page, if you will, only only with things like enrollment, your, your other basic uh, important information can be So if you have budgets hosted online, that's really helpful too. Um, important contacts. Frankly, you'd be surprised how few institutions, or, or I should say how many institutions, make it hard to find who their primary press contact is. Um, so that's probably the number one fix I'd like to see at a lot of places. Some places do it really well. Um, some places you have to kind of look around or, or go through old press releases to figure out who's the primary contact point if I'm getting a story that I need to talk to you about now. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, those minutes count. So uh, elevating that would be really helpful. Wonderful. So let's talk about some of the universities that are doing it well. Which ones can we kind of take, uh, you know, ideas from so that way we make sure we're setting you up the right way. This is nothing but positive feedback for them. Right. I actually, I don't have anyone off the top of my head that I can oh, say sorry. is doing it well or doing it poorly. That For first, that wouldn't necessarily be fair. Um, and, and second, I honestly don't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. But if you look around, um, you know, the, the best ones for me have a press link right on the homepage. Um, it's honestly best if it's it's at the bottom um, and it's searchable, you know, press contact, media contact, whatever it may be. Sometimes they'll be in drop down menus. That's fine too. Um, but but it, it should be really accessible, really easy to get into. Um, and, and I know that that's a hard thing from a web design standpoint because if you do that for every individual need it's getting cluttered pretty fast but if, if you can somehow highlight it and then that takes you to either a breaking line or you know a primary contact uh, sheet who says you need to call this person um that's really very helpful wonderful so a personal question what is your favorite story that you, you've seen in higher ed that you didn't write and then what is your favorite story that you got to work on mm. well I, I wrote a, a story recently that was um it's still developing. It's, it's really fascinating. It's a, a small private college in Indiana, um, suspended operations oh. owing to some financial difficulties. And uh, the alumni, the faculty 
weren't very happy. Um, I think this fits into uh, some of the trends we're seeing right now. There's a lot of pressure on those small private institutions. Um, there's a lot of financial pressure on other institutions too. So I, I like that story a lot uh, because it touches so many different parts of higher ed. Um, it touches your faculty, it touches your students, it touches uh, your administrators, and it also touches your themes. Um, and I like it because there's a very human element to it. Um, there are real people that you can talk to that illustrate a larger theme. So I think that was a very important story um, going on right now. Uh, other than that, um, I think, let's see, there, there's a lot of good work going on right now regarding funding, uh, certainly. There's a lot of discussion right now about um, debt, some of it which is good and bad. <laughs> um, I think those are all important pieces that we're seeing going on. Um, at the beginning of the year, if you're asking what I've seen elsewhere, um, I, I think Bloomberg did a really interesting series on um, the finances of big-time football. I think that was right around the time that they were playing the, the national championship game in, in, uh, in D1 football. So that was an interesting piece. Um, I, we've done a lot of good work on, on those issues too, though. So um, that's kind of the, the breadth of, of, of what I've seen that's caught my eye recently. Very cool. So um, a, a possibly hot topic while I'm here at the University of Virginia. Um, what do we do if a news article is published and perhaps doesn't portray us in the best light or have um, the right information. Of course, I'm referring to the Rolling Stone article that came out and, and I don't want to get into to the legal stuff, stuff and everything. And of course they printed a retraction afterwards, but what is the best way to then interact with, you know, if let's say you publish something that says, you know, something negative about a university or what's happening, what is the best way for us to interact with you? Or how can we best interact with, you know, reporters to, to get our side of the story being heard? Sure. Um, without commenting on any specific information I th or specific situation, there's a, a, a big difference in, in, I think, most reporters' minds between um, factually incorrect and just what the institution doesn't like. Yeah. Um, factually incorrect, reporters want to fix immediately. What the institution doesn't like, it's, it's a much different question. Um, you certainly always want to be accurate. That's always my first priority. Um, and I don't ever have a problem having a discussion with someone about either of those situations. Um, but, but if it's clearly factually ina inaccurate, um, I'm basically going to fix it, no questions asked. Um, if, if it's one of those discussions where it's about perception, um, well, then, then we need to talk more about um, what is and is not the, the purview of the journalist and the fact that there are people out in the community who perceive an institution differently than the institution perceives itself. Um, so that, that's a, a, a different discussion, um, but they're both important discussions, and I think they're both discussions that, that reporters are willing to have um, as long as they're done in a respectful, um, honest, open way. Wonderful. Have you ever had anyone call and, and go crazy about an article that you wrote one way or another? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, generally, the, the rule I developed, it's, it's actually less true in higher ed than, than in other areas I've covered. But um, the general rule that I, I've noticed is, is the loudest feedback you receive will always be negative. Um, okay. most, most people don't call about the stories they really thought were, were right on the nose. <laughs> um, a few will, but you'll get the most blowback for stories that people don't like. And, and sometimes, frankly, they're the most important stories to tell still.
Yeah, when I worked at Disney, one of the big things that we talked about is that people are eight times more likely to complain about something than say something positive right. and share it with others. So yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of the blowback. Exactly. So, um, well, wonderful. Well, is there, are there any other tips that you have that we can do to make sure that we're working best with you and that we're providing you stories that you're interested in? You've talked a little bit about how making sure that we're topical and looking at what's happening in the world, if it's if it's national news and, and apparently if it's associated with financials and stuff like that and things that are happening politically, this is a really good opportunity to provide a, a story that our university might be able to you know, be highlighted. Um, you know, but if it's something that's local, then, you know, there's a career fair that's coming up or here's what's happening with, with moving, how to work with some of those students. So, so you talked about like making sure that we're really focused in on, on some of the topics and, and what's happening in, in the different audiences and be patient as, as best we can and making sure that we're being as responsive with you as we can and, and that we're following up quickly. Cause I know sometimes it's hard. I, I can't imagine how many emails you guys get a day. Yeah, it's a lot, um, and and certainly I I kind of hone in and, and name the stories that are on the, the the leadership and finance beats because those are the two that that I'm most closely affiliated with. But there's a lot that's happening in a lot of other fields too, um, whether it's community colleges or or federal policy or or sports or whatever it may be, technology, um, teaching issues, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on forever, but um, just I guess I would say. Um, Remember, we are busy. <laughs> it, it, I'm sure you've all heard that refrain. Um, reporters are busy. Um, it may sound like we bite, but we don't really. Uh, so don't be afraid to talk. Wonderful. Very cool. Well, I thank you so much for your time and, and supporting us. We did have some other reporters lined up, but just like you said, you, you get busy and some emergencies happen. So they, they had to um, drop out at the last minute. So I appreciate Ricky hanging in there and, and giving us all this great feedback. This is wonderful. Hey, um, thank you. Yeah, great. So um, thank you so much to our sponsor uh, for M Stoner. And I hope that everyone has a wonderful weekend that's coming up. Thanks.